Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Epic still couldn't put Fortnite back on the store if they wanted to. On top of that, What's going on guys and welcome back to Watch Time as today we're going to be diving into some interesting topics as per usual. My name is Elliot. I am a YouTuber with nine and a half, still nine and a half million subscribers, not quite 10. It's been too long. <laughs> and I'm here with my sister Grace, who is CEO of Click Management, which manages a whole bunch of the biggest and best creators in the world. Hello. And we're here to talk about video games, the internet, internet culture, all those good Things. We've got some interesting topics lined up today. We some... do. We're talking about the epic update and the conclusion there. We're going to talk about Gabby Petito and we're going to talk about Alyssa Violet suing FaZe Clan and what that means. But first of all, how's your week been, Elliot? Week's been good. I'm uh, I'm actually finally like really settling into this whole lockdown thing. Good, like I'm, we're I'm on developing, week... I know, I'm developing good habits. We're on week 13. <laughs> yeah, kind of like spend the first four or five weeks developing awful habits and, you know, just generally going into lockdown depression. And then I've uh, I finally flipped it as we're coming out of lockdown. So I'm going to have to try what and keep the going. I'm like, I, I've finally got a home gym set up and I am working out a lot. Like a lot. Mm -hmm. Like I'm very sore all over my body because I play video games. I don't lift weights and my body doesn't know what's going on. Um, and then also I'm hoping that I get to start streaming again tomorrow because it's been a nightmare. As much as moving my whole setup home has been really, really good and I've enjoyed it. Uh, it has been a bit of an internet problem. And I feel really bad because there's so many people I talk to, you know, every time I live stream in the chat. And uh, I haven't really live streamed in almost two or three weeks now. Yeah, crazy. Um, so I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to just shut up and get back into it. It's weird. Now I'm out of the habit of live streaming and mm. doing it regularly. It's like a weird, like psych out thing. Yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. hard to hit the go live button for some 100%. reason. 100%. I kind of feel that way, but like about lockdown. Like we can see the light at the end of the tunnel now. It's probably like a month yeah. until we're able to be in a restaurant again. On one hand, obviously, I'm so excited. And like we were just saying, like we got to make some restaurant bookings and like yeah. make some plans. Um, and then on the other hand, I'm like low key anxious about coming out of lockdown. And I feel like, you know, when you're out of lockdown, I don't know. There's feelings like FOMO that come into play and you're like, what's everyone yeah. doing tonight? And like, am I, should I be there? And what am I missing yeah. out on? And that sort of thing. And I feel like I just haven't had that experience in the last three months at all. Like I haven't worried. I've just been very present and like, you know, I've barely been drinking, like been exercising a lot more, eating a lot more, like healthier sleep schedule. It's just literally been like me, my boyfriend and like, you know, it's been very consistent and chaos is about now, to resume. I'm like, oh my God, like what's going to happen? I hear everyone's going out tonight. We got to join. And then, yeah, yeah. Or like even, I don't know, but it's like some realizations, you know, like I've realized I haven't missed being hungover. Like the other night I had a few too many drinks and I woke up the next day and I could feel it. And I like, didn't feel like exercising as much. And I was like, fuck, am I getting old or am I getting healthy? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know how people always talk about like, once people come out of like long jail sentences, yeah. reintegrating into society, that will be like the world. Everyone's going to have to relearn. Dude, I'm going to have like Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Where you like end up actually liking your captor in this case, 
which is the government lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I was chatting to uh, Ru uh, Rubes the other day, who he's basically a DJ um, in uh, in like an Australian group, and we we're talking about lockdown, and he was like, he was like, man, I got to be honest, like I am loving it. Like he is absolutely. Yeah. He was like, he was like, I don't want to go back. And I thought of all the people who would want to be out of lockdown. Yeah. It's the guys putting on the giant concerts. True. Yeah, exactly. Like completely crazy to me. On to our first topic, which is Epic versus Apple, the lawsuit, the update. So give it to me. Very quick recap for anyone who isn't across it. Uh, although I can't imagine there's many people listening who are not. Uh, over a year ago now, or almost, it's almost going to be a year and a half, two years. Um, Epic Games effectively challenged a, a very much like a convention of the kind of app industry, which is that if you have an app on the Apple Store or the Google Play Store, they both enforce similar policies. Every single uh, transaction that happens within that app mm. is Apple takes a 30% cut from. Meaning that if I were to buy V-Bucks on the Fortnite app on my phone, Apple takes a 30% cut. Epic thought yeah. that was unfair and they basically added in a way that you could effectively uh, buy V-Bucks and circumvent Apple's 30% take. This was a deliberate move by them, which they knew Apple wouldn't allow because it contravenes the contract you have to sign uh, to force Apple into taking Fortnite off the App Store, at which point Epic had a pre-planned countersuit where they were going to sue Apple and claim that they were basically practicing anti-competitive behavior by enforcing you to uh, kind of transact through the app store. Now, this played out over the last year and a half uh, in the court system. During that time, Apple also revoked Epic's developer license for their app store, effectively meaning that Epic can't publish any more games on the app store. They can't put any of their products on the app store. Um, because they violated the contract that they have with Apple. Now, this is finally played out through the court systems with Epic trying to basically argue that Apple shouldn't be allowed to enforce a 30% cut. And if people want to have different transaction services, it should be allowed. And Apple saying, nope, we need the money to effectively pay for the service we provide in vetting these apps and running the whole app ecosystem. Yeah. Now, the judge finally came back about a week ago now, actually. The initial take the initial reaction was this is a win for apple and a loss for epic but i think as people have sat in it more and thought about it that narrative's kind of flipped so effectively what the judge said is that apple is entitled to basically say if you're transacting through the app store you are they're entitled to take their 30 percent cut no questions asked however where the judge came down on epic's side was saying that there is nothing to prevent uh, a developer from pointing out to people within the app that they can buy whatever they want to get from a website and effectively redirect them out of the app to a website where they could purchase whatever they want to purchase. Now, there's going to be a lot of debate there around can they just have a button that effectively you click and it right. redirects you to that yep. website and the technicalities around that ruling are going to be really, really big. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, that is in a lot of ways a pretty big win for app developers. Apple makes billions on those commissions every year. That could potentially be a huge hole in Apple's balance sheet if it's deemed that app developers can have a button as simple as click here to purchase uh, your currency for... 20% off and if then they, they make a bigger that, margin. If they can do that, yes. But otherwise, 
I kind of see this as a loss for app developers in general, because I don't think that's that different from what's already been happening. Because if you go on to, for example, like I have a Kindle, I can't buy books through the app. Like Amazon doesn't allow me to do that. It does direct me to go to the website. It says go to the desktop version, but that does kind of already exist. I'm surprised. So what did the judge say about the fact that, you know, this 30% is so much, or is it basically just like, yeah, that's Apple's prerogative. I think they were basically like, it's Apple's prerogative and it's their ecosystem. Effectively, it was saying that it's not anti-competitive. They don't have a monopoly to the point where that can be challenged, I believe is ultimately the ruling. But I actually think it will be bigger than what you're thinking. Because I think as much as your Kindle example is one example, I think that when it comes to things like buying currency in mm. games, you know, if you're a kid who's only got a mobile phone, your mom and dad haven't given you a computer, you don't have Fortnite on computer. Yeah. So it's not just gonna tell you to go launch it up on your yeah. desktop computer. And then on top of that, remember, so much money they get spent on the app store is kids. Yeah. Like, and, and kids aren't complicated. Kids are like, they see buy but now. that's why I think they're not going to go to a desktop. No, but that's the thing. They don't have to go to a desktop. That's what the redirect button is. Right. You click a button, okay. it pulls up your, um, your kind of online, you know, web Version. thing on the page. And then you can transact there. So if it does come out that it is a single button, then that could that's actually have a huge deal. impact. Yeah. But here's where Epic kind of actually lost. Okay. So as much as I think this overall is a win for developers, it's definitely not a loss. Ultimately, this is only positive for developers. There's no way to interpret it as, an, it as a negative. And maybe it's the first domino to fall in what will be more and more decisions yeah. in that direction. Because that's definitely where things are moving. Where Epic lost, though, is when they initially breached their Apple agreement by putting the Fortnite payments in-game. Epic revoked their developer license, like I mentioned earlier. The judge ruled that they were entitled to do that and they're entitled to uphold it because Epic broke contract. Interesting. So Epic still couldn't put Fortnite back on the store if they wanted to. On top of that, the judge ruled that all the money they made uh, in the few days where that was active and when it's been active on people's phones since then, they have to repay 30% of that, which would have been Apple's cut, Ouch. which, which is only about like, it's only about three and a half million dollars. Right. So not much for Fortnite, but what you've got to think about isn't so much that cost. It's the cost of a, the legal battle that Epic had to pay for. And then also Fortnite mobile was big and it was growing. And, yeah. the and we all know how much money Fortnite makes. So the amount of revenue they've missed out on over the last two years while they've been fighting this issue is huge. So it said that Apple was okay to terminate Epic's license when they broke the rules. Yes. But surely Apple actually wants Epic back on the store. Uh, so I was thinking about this, but here's the thing. If they're making billions mm -hmm. in commissions every year, uh, Epic maybe makes Apple a couple hundred million or in, you know what, even, yeah, a couple hundred million okay. on their commission. I think for Apple, it is, you know, maybe in a few years when things have changed and the narrative has moved, they might let them back. But for right now, I think it's like having crucified someone on the wall of your castle for, you know, doing something wrong. It's kind of like being like, if you mess with us, Look this what is what will happen. happen. <laughs> Literally, I actually think they'll hold them out as an example. Really? Of 100%. Do not challenge us. Do not put us through this. They're, they're absolutely going to make a martyr of them. 
Well, sorry, wow, not Armada. That's but, a yeah. good point. I, I think they're going to hold them up as an example of why you shouldn't when you challenge question us the status quo. Unnecessarily, this is we what will happens. take you off and we will not bring you back on. Yeah, you'll you'll regret it. And I, and I think a lot of people will go, you know what? As much as we might like to contest like yeah, a little bit our of that commission. Yeah, at the end of the day, the penalty of existing a little bit is better than existing not at all. So have either of the Tims, Tim of Epic or Tim of Apple, made any comment on this? Uh, I believe Tim came out saying he was a bit disappointed in the decision, but that ultimately he was glad there were some wins in there for the de- for developers. Yeah. But I think that the general sentiment was that they're not done, uh, done fighting yet and they plan on keep pushing it. Yeah. I think maybe Epic has lost the battle, but I think the war is still being fought. Mm. It was definitely a very brave move. Oh my like, god, yeah. It was a very brave move. It was bold. It was very bold. I think they've maybe lost the battle, but will eventually win the war. Yeah, and it may not be them that wins the war. No. It'll probably come from another avenue, but... Yes, very interesting. There's also a lot of other legislation happening at the moment. I believe there's there's some stuff going through Congress right now, dealing with the way that um, the platforms take their cut. There's a lot of things kind of in the works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there'll be some more development over the coming years. So on the note of Epic, I wanted to ask Balenciaga came out with their collaboration so with Fortnite. Yeah. Talk to me. What were your thoughts, feelings? I just, I thought it... It sucked. I thought it sucked too. I'm not going to lie. Like I, A, Balenci- They did their in-game activation and they did the actual physical collaboration yeah. of product. Yeah. Both bad? Yeah. I mean, the in-game stuff, the, the in-game skins were cool. There's a lot of cool Fortnite skins these days though. Like yeah. a lot of the time these days, Epic will add a, a skin to the game. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. But like the game's been out four and a half years there's so many cool skins yeah like there can be a very cool skin but it's still not going to be like oh this is the best skin ever Mm. so with all the skins that i have it's still not going to be the skin that i wear so i actually unless unless i want it for content i barely buy skins these days and then in terms of the real life ones my god if i was bad if i was doing youtuber merch and the merch company came back with designs that basic i'd be like bro seriously what, you're going to slap the Fortnite logo and then slap my name beneath it? Like, come on. It literally, like, it, that's exactly what it felt like. It just felt like absolutely no effort. And it might not be a big deal for a brand like Balenciaga, but I'm actually still surprised that they would even want to put their name on a product like mm. that. I just thought it was, um, I'm like, who's spending money on this? I, I know a lot of like Fortnite YouTuber friends who, uh, who ordered like one or two pieces. Because it's like, oh, you know, it's the game I do. This is kind of like, a, yeah. I guess, semi-iconic. Well. Because a lot yeah. of YouTubers are hype-based and then hype-based and Fortnite at the same time. I would not spend money on that. No, I like, I was I was really tossing. I was like, oh, no, I could get one. And Honestly, I, it's kind of cringe. I'm like, I, no, yeah. I don't know. But like, I don't want to walk around. Tasteless. Yeah, it's so tasteless. It's yeah. just like, okay, cool. I'm it's wearing, a meme. I'm wearing a Fortnite logo and a Balenciaga logo. Yeah, it's like a meme. Hat. Kinda, yeah, but but just like a really expensive meme. Yeah, I don't even know if the meme's that good. And you know what? I've got I've I've got things I'd prefer to spend a grand on. Dude, me too. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page because I was just like not impressed, but it was a bit. It's actually like bizarre sometimes. I'm just like, who? It was a bizarre club. Well, like (laughs) I'm actually I'm low-key disappointed because like 
there have been a lot of times where mainstream brands have collabed or even gaming brands mm. have collabed with designer brands and they've done some really cool stuff. Like, honestly, even the 100 Thieves backpack had some, like, decent design thought put yeah, into yeah, it. Yeah. And it yeah. was semi-unique. Um, and, like, and honestly, if they'd done something relatively cool, like a Fortnite Balenciaga backpack that looked sick or mm. shoes that looked sick or, like, a watch or anything. Yeah. Anything that I was like, okay, you know what? That's a weird collab, but I kind of like it. Yeah. I would have absolutely been there. It was so, so basic. Yeah. It literally looked like, you know, um, you know, those like shirt print websites yes. where people just go on and create like fake merch for different things. <gasps> oh God. Like, it actually did look like, like Redbubble or whatever. Yeah, Redbubble. <laughs> yeah, where people just go on and they create fake knockoff merch for things and just slap the logo on yeah. and then charge 40 bucks for it. That's yeah. literally what it looks like. And it's like there's so much potential, I think, especially for the in-game stuff. Fortnite's such an amazing example of a game that's been able to monetize 100% off cosmetics. And it shows that people care about cosmetics in-game. Yeah. And digital cosmetics is something that people care about. And I think right now, digital cosmetics are not done particularly well in the way that collaborations happen IRL. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think there's so much opportunity for people to have like super cool designer outfits. Cause I think those two worlds actually make sense. They collide, they collaborate, whatever. Yeah. But it was just, uh, it was just a bit. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Shit. Yeah, I agree. It was like not a great example. Moving on, we're going to talk briefly about the Gabby Petito case, which I feel like if you've been on social media, you can't have avoided in the past week. Mm, really Gabby blew up. Gabby was a 22-year-old girl from the US who was road tripping with her boyfriend and she went missing. The last time anyone had heard from her was late August. Um, and as of when we are recording this, she was found unfortunately dead yesterday and the boyfriend is nowhere to be found he came back wasn't communicating with police is now mia where who knows apparently a forest in florida you know this isn't something that obviously is a general watch time topic but i think the way that this story gripped the internet in the past two weeks mm. was incredible it's really interesting for us to talk about you know, the role that social media can play in real life news stories these days mm. and the way that things can just like absolutely gain a life in and of themselves. The like the crazy intensity and how much the internet got invested in it. Yeah. And, and I, to be totally honest, find it a little bit weird and a little bit off. creepy and a bit off because don't get me wrong. I think there are a lot of people who genuinely cared about her well-being and genuinely wanted mm. to have a great outcome um, and, you know, probably genuinely really wanted to help. But I also do think a large amount of both creators creating content on it and people who are really following it super intensely, it's like crime porn. It's that yeah. whole like 
the the drama, the obsession, the the kind of like, you know, and people creating videos being like, this is the timeline of Gabby's disappearance and this is what we saw. It's like, okay, and and I'm conflicted because the mainstream media does that as well. They do that exact same thing. However, if they're able to do it, then there's no reason that normal creators shouldn't as well. But I also do find just the whole... I agree. It's kind of a conflict in a way because there is almost this crime porn element to it where it's like the internet is treating this as like a little puzzle that everyone's trying to solve or a game of some sort. And obviously like at the crux of this, a, a girl has died in really tragic circumstances and like families have lost someone. Like it's serious. And yet, you know, I'm going on TikTok and there are people there saying like, oh, look at her last Instagram post. Like she'd had her roots done. Like she'd had her hair dyed. And like in the post before that, she hadn't had her hair dyed. And where was she getting her hair dyed on the road trip? Or like yeah. her nails were cut short or long. Or, yeah. You know, it's kind of like weird obsession. Weird little things. Um, commenting a lot on her appearance or the way that she was presenting or the caption style of her Instagram and that sort of thing. And I think on the other hand, there's, you know, reports saying that the way that this took a hold on social media, there was so much publicity and the word got out there so quickly. There was a lot of information that was able to be shared. People, you know, were thinking about things that they might have forgotten about that might have played really important um, parts in the evidence. For example, the couple that was vlogging, travel vloggers as well, and they'd managed to somehow capture some footage of the van that was on the side of the road that they passed that apparently actually really did help to finding Gabby's body. Or, and I thought this was a very interesting one that definitely wouldn't have gotten picked up. I don't know if you saw this morning, the fiancé who now uh, police obviously trying to find, a guy had a trail cam out that was just Mm -hmm. like looking at animals and they're pretty sure they spotted him on the trail cam. And absolutely would not have realized that this is like a guy that the police are trying to find yeah. if it wasn't for the media coverage. Yeah. Yeah. So that that is ultimately what I do keep coming back to is that ultimately, yes, I do think a lot of the motivations and the investment in it isn't really necessarily for the best reasons. And a lot mm. of the reasons are actually kind of low-key, a little bit disturbing. But and I think it could be quite torturous as well if you were the family of her. You know, I'm like yeah. going on my TikTok, my TikTok feed is flooded with theories yeah. and how incredibly stressful it would be if you were the family of this girl going on TikTok and someone's talking about like, oh, you know, if you change the video footage and increase the contrast here and it looks yeah. like this person's in the van that the couple passed or whatever and you'd just be thinking like have the police picked up on that like yeah. should we make sure that that's the case and it's like h- how how disruptive and stressful yeah. that could also be as much as i think that this time you know the outcome was really you know whatever the motivations were the outcome was raising awareness about it exposing more information about it and ultimately hopefully helping to find uh the fiance given that it seems like he is a reasonable suspect in the case but there are a person of interest yeah he hasn't even been named as a suspect which is super interesting which again leads into my next point which is that while so far this hasn't really led to any big negative outcomes there are a lot of instances where the internet does this it collectively picks a crime or something that has happened and it goes internet detective mode, Mm -hmm. which everyone knows is a very, very rogue way 
to do any kind of investigative work and the internet will collectively finger like point at someone yeah. and say this is the person we're pretty sure did it yeah uh, there's like they were seen here and this is the only explanation and then they'll find their identity and they will witch hunt them and then it will come out that they were just completely not involved yeah and I, I believe it was the and I, I don't want to say with absolute certainty but i'm pretty sure it was when the boston bombings happened mm. um reddit yes. did that they completely went detective mode there were subreddits created they found someone they thought was a suspect they found their identity and effectively like in the short term ruined their life and it turns out they just had nothing to do with it yeah at all so i think that as much as this like crime obsession can lead to you know awareness and positive outcomes i do think that the desire for drama mm. and that desire for oh i've got a clue oh, i figured it, i've figured something out can so often lead down a really bad path yeah i mean imagine like being her boyfriend and you know i'm not saying that the fact he hasn't spoken is a good or bad thing because inherently i disagree with <laughs> i it. would say disappearing and not appear is oh, it's relatively 100%. dodgy right now yeah <laughs> but imagine if imagine if he is innocent yeah. and you know knowing that the weight of the world is against him right now like how do you feel comfortable talking you're mm. like there's no way out for me i'm gonna lose no matter yeah. what happens yeah but i think yeah ultimately Super interesting phenomenon. Obviously a really, really tragic story and one that isn't fully concluded yet. So we're going to have to keep following and see how that goes. But um, yeah, no, we'd love to know what you guys think about that yeah. kind of like internet obsession um, and and where it can go right and where it can go wrong and if we think it's a good or bad thing. Yeah, mm -hmm, 100%. Last topic of the day, we are talking Alyssa Violet, who is suing FaZe Clan. And this is a really interesting story. And it's one that Elliot and I actually have kind of a really bizarre, unique <laughs> perspective into. But this stems back to 2018, where if you remember, Clout Gang was yeah. a thing. R.I.P. Clout Gang. I mean, the name says enough, really, yeah. doesn't it? Like, that was, that was an interesting gang, time. How would you describe that time of YouTube? I don't even know. It was effectively hype beast YouTuber vlogging. That's in LA. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Mansion. And the houses, the collaboration houses were on another level. It was the time where we had Team 10. Yeah. It was the time where we had Yeah, Clout it was the gang. Team 10 era. It was Jake Paul. It was Logan. Think of it as FaZe Clan's Team 10. That yes. was that was the hype gang. FaZe Clan effectively Clout found gang. a bunch of their members um, that were... It was Banks. More... It was Alyssa. It was Summer Rae. It was Rice, uh, Rice Gum. Gum. Yeah. Dude, incredible. So they started Clout Gang. Alyssa claims that she had an element of ownership in Clout Gang. To what extent that was formalized, not really sure, but fair enough. She was absolutely a member of the group. And that she made an agreement with FaZe Clan. FaZe was obviously heavily involved in Clout Gang through Banks, who was a founder of FaZe as well. They both agreed that they were going to transfer the shares of their ownership into a company called Hubrick, which was a company that was working with FaZe Clan and invested in FaZe Clan at the time. And in exchange for Alyssa putting her shares into Hubrick, she would get shares of Hubrick. Now... Hubrick is an interesting company. Oh, yeah. It is a now defunct social media company 
that was started by a Scandinavian man called Seb. All of these companies um, ended not on amicable terms. I don't think it's a story we're going to 100% unpack today. I think we might even want to do a full episode on it in the coming weeks. Uh, Seb was someone who I actually had a lot of interactions with, and so did Grace, and so did uh, Emma, our other business partner, when I was initially invited to join FaZe Clan. And um, we had, yes, a lot of interesting takeaways. And uh, ultimately, I would say he was fundamentally the reason that I didn't join. Um, yeah. But yeah, we've got a lot I of stories there. I would say that we will summarize this story in another episode, but it was to date the most bizarre meeting of my entire life. Yeah. It was probably one of the weirdest four hours of my life. And today. you know what Seb embodied? And there's only one other person I can think of I've ever met that acts the same way, where my conclusion is also the same. But Seb was one of those people where as soon as you meet him, tries to talk about how successful he is and how many goals he's kicking and how like how he's like, you know, making millions of dollars and how everyone's coming to him and wants all this stuff. Yeah. And then when you actually kind of look into any of it and when you talk to the people around him who kind of kept working with him, they realized after a few years that it effectively just made it all up. He tried to do the fake it till you make it thing, but he didn't really have anything to back it. He talked himself into managing FaZe Clan effectively, um, claiming that he had all these multi-millions of dollars behind him in a really successful social media company. And it turned out that all that was completely hollow, which is, but to a lot of people, especially I think in LA, people who really kind of yeah. where success and clout and money is just such like a thing, people really do fall for people who talk so much about their success. Yeah. And I think that, um, especially in that FaZe Clan culture, the kind mm. of like hype clout gang thing, that was actually probably a really kind of something that a lot of people like listened to and fell for. Yeah. So let's leave that story for another day. Yes. But we needed to tell you because we read this and we were like, no fucking way. Yeah. Anyway, so we have Hubrick. That's the company with Seb. Hubrick invests in FaZe. FaZe is related to Clout Gang. Hubrick's also trying to invest into Clout Gang. So Alyssa then gets her shares in Hubrick. Hubrick and FaZe have a very messy breakup in late 2018. This is not on good terms. Hubrick is now defunct. FaZe sued Hubrick. Hubrick countersued FaZe. And basically they settled out of court. Part of the terms of that arrangement was that Alyssa would give up her shares in Hubrick and FaZe said, we'll give you some shares, allegedly said, that we will give you some shares in FaZe to compensate you for that verbal agreement. Let me tell you, if I've learned some things this year, it's <laughs> put things in writing. Anyway, more stories for other days. <laughs> when I release my book one day. <laughs> um, so... That is that. Now, Alyssa says, I never got my shares in FaZe. FaZe is now worth apparently $300 million. And Alyssa's saying, hang on. Some of that's mine. Where's my little slice of the pie? Um, that's basically where it's at right now. Now, Lee Trink, who's the CEO of FaZe, um, has come out in an email to the Washington Post and basically said, look, Disputes happen and stories come out of disputes, big and small, right and wrong. We're on close terms with Alyssa and we're confident this this will get come resolved. Come to an amicable solution. Amicably. 
which is interesting considering that she's sued them, which yeah. seems decidedly unamicable. Alas, we won't comment. FaZe Clan is incredibly interesting to me. They, It's undeniable they've had a huge amount of success. Yes. Like, they really have. You can't deny that they haven't built an incredibly strong brand. There's also a lot of people behind FaZe Clan these days, now that they got Seb mm. out. They, there are a lot of people behind it that, that are really I, reputable. That I think are really reputable, really I've smart, heard, really I've switched heard great on. Things about Leitrink. Yeah, and about and about a huge and even you know like a lot of people behind it. But ultimately, man, every interaction and every time that I've like there's been like stories about Phase Clan and I've interacted with Phase Clan or I've heard other people interacting, like it just always seems to end up in a lot of messy scenarios. Mm. And don't get me wrong, a lot of that is just because they're probably doing so much. A certain yes. percentage of things you do end up going messy. But man, after the whole Seb chaos, where that was years of turmoil for FaZe, mm -hmm. and they finally got rid of that, you've then got things like the NFT scandals, you've now got this, you've just, man. Tfue. Yeah, Tfue suing them. Like running FaZe seems like a bloody stressful job. Really stressful. But I'm also going to give them credit that I think maybe part of part of this is a function of the fact that things are moving really, really fast. Yep. And the phase that we are looking at in 2021 is extremely different to the phase that existed in 2017, 2018 from size, from leadership, from people that are involved, from the activities that they're doing. And I think there's probably an element of this, you know, to phases credit where they are just running so fast that not everything's going to be 100% buttoned down. Yep, 100%. And I think there were probably conversations had with people that may or may not be there anymore. Things were said and then, you know, it just wasn't done properly or people leave and the communication gets lost. And it's like, hang on, there's actually no record of that or yep. what actually happened here? And I think, um, I think there's an element of the fact that you're just in a fast moving industry, like you're you're kind of on the knife edge of it all if you're phase and sometimes you're gonna get cut yeah 100 percent. agree 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 also awkward because um of her ex-boyfriend banks yeah yeah gonna be uh interesting to see how it all plays out a lot of emotions a lot of money a lot of lawyers 100 <laughs> percent, dude everyone's so litigious in the u.s litigious litigious Litigious, litigious. Sorry, didn't one you of us tomato, finish... say tomato, I say tomato. one of us finish their law degree? I think that should be your word to know. Okay, brother. Yeah, very much like jumping to the sue button. Hmm. But I think that's kind of just a culture. Thanks for watching, guys. We hope you enjoyed this week's Watch Time episode. Make sure to uh, leave any comments and thoughts down below on any of the topics we talked about. Leave a, a rating. I think that's the thing that yep. people do. As always, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.